0: It is another edition of that Issue here on Topper Station. Hello, I'm Howard Monroe from the Watchdog Radio Network, AM 1600, FM 98.7, and AM 1370, and FM 97.7. Also with me, John McCabe, Managing Editor of the local newspapers, the Intelligencer, and the News Register. And we will take a look at some of the stories making news around the state and around our upper Ohio Valley this week. John Wheeling Council is, uh, hmm, I don't want to phrase this looking forward and backwards at their public safety building options. Uh, they're gonna be talking about the Valley Professional Center, which is where they are now talking about a police station, and also looking backwards at the building they were gonna buy for the public safety building, but may wanna buy anyways. Well, yes, let's, going on.
1: Let's start with backward, and we'll, I'll just throw this up here. This group right here, let me duck out of the way here. So this group of new council members will, will uh, As we meet this week, are going to hear first reading of an ordinance that will that will uh, authorize the purchase of the much maligned, I guess we'll call it, 19th Street uh, property owned by Americo as the technical owner, but uh, you know the individual owner of Americo is Frank Calabrese, as we all know and have been talking about for it's been about a year now, close Uh to it going on. Um, Anyway, so you know when when Council at the beginning of the year council had essentially what was a 90 day option and they've extended it a few times since then. But, you know, I think most people kind of, kind of felt that uh, once the OVMC purchase was completed, that the Americo property, the 19th and Jacob property would just kind of fall by the wayside. It wouldn't be, wouldn't be uh, considered further. And then the mayor, I believe first on your show, you know, said, no, we're, you know, we're still thinking about it. It's something if we could get control of it, it might be a good buy. Well, we're kind of at that point now where, you know, council, uh, I'm, I'm going to say the city manager or the mayor believe they have the votes uh, to purchase this property. Now at a, when they looked at it as a public safety voting, it was a $350,000 property in essence, uh, $150,000 and then another one ninety five, dollars I believe in escrow for environmental. Uh, now the price is just going back to one fifty. dollars um, that the city would buy it uh, at that price. A couple council members. Let, let, let's just throw in here,
0: though, as I talked to the mayor about this this morning, they are still going to have to do all of that um, uh, remediation. Now, the original plan was that if there was remediation, not necessarily give the money to America. Right. They're still going to have to do it themselves. They think they've got um, funding. Uh, grant funding, probably to take care of that remediation work, but so it's one hundred and fifty thousand plus the property remediation costs, yes,
1: yes, now, one of the things that uh, so so that's kind of where we're at now on Tuesday, Council will hear first reading, couple members uh, what I found to be interesting so far uh, Councilman Ben Seidler uh, was very vocal during the campaign that he was against any you know giving any money at all for this property. Uh, he's since changed his mind for you know he, he uh, expanded on some different reasons both in the newspaper on his own facebook page over the weekend uh and talking about why you know maybe at this price point it's a good purchase for the city it's a you know it at least gets rid of the eyesore um but i you know I, i'm kind of looking at it in 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 a little different light is, is this now the city's role to buy up every dilapidated property that you can see off route two, because, you know, there's another one right on the other side of route two that you, you know, if you look to the right, as you're driving toward I-70, you see this building. If you look to the left, you see Clay School, which, you know, in my mind is a closer, is, is in closer proximity to where things are happening in East Wheeling. I know the city manager, you know, made the, I thought, you know, made the argument, well, this is close to the 16th. It's really not. It's three blocks from the 16th Street ball field. You know, that doesn't, you know, sports complex. But
0: Lincoln um, School is right, right, right across the street from the Yeah, ball
1: it's right next door to it, exactly. So it, uh, you know, I, I, I just, you know, this council, not this council, the prior council as well, you know, going back over the last 20 years has been in the business of acquiring a lot of property, acquiring parcels of property. Some things have worked out well, the health plan. we None of us will argue that, you know, the vision that uh, Mayor Nix Barshane and his council put forward in the, in the 2000s didn't turn out wonderfully for the city. Um, we have other instances where it's not worked out so well, it, and it's smaller amounts. I mean, you know, right behind where I'm at, the 14th and Market Street properties uh, continue to sit with no real plan. Um, and they do have a working tenant in the, in the Market Street news. Um, that's paying rent, but, you know, across the street, uh, where, where Kirk's is at, it's still kind of, you know, nothing happening there. Um, so it's, you know, it's never good when the, the public sector steps in to do what the private sector should. Now I understand sometimes, you know, the reality is Front Calabrese building at 19th and Jacob, there's not many options. Uh, he's obviously not going to invest the money to tear it down and remediate the property or else he would have done it by now. Um, you know, I guess to kind of wrap up a, it's not really a mini rant, but I would rather see this, you know, if the city's going to spend $150,000, take it to court and seize it by eminent domain. I'm not a fan of eminent domain, but I think in this case, I would rather see $150,000 spent for eminent domain than to give this, you know, irresponsible property owner any any, uh, any money at all for this for this
0: site. The uh, I asked the question of the mayor today uh, about why not just insist the property owner, Take care of this and sell. And part of his argument was, well, we could do that, but we would then probably be dragged out for many years in court proceedings before we could, you know, force it to happen. Uh, it, it is true. The city doesn't have any easy way to enforce a complete prop, a piece of property to be maintained. I mean, they can they can get orders to cut the grass, they can get orders to do certain things, but in terms of a building that's in disrepair, there's not a lot they can do. They could tear it down, what mm-hmm. the city has done, put a lien on. on it, uh, but that doesn't, the city puts the money up front to do that. So it, it is a difficult thing, but I, I certainly comprehend the citizens who, who say, as a general rule, you insist that citizens maintain their property. Uh, you don't just come in and buy it. If there's a dilapidated house in my neighborhood, there's not, <laughs> if there's a dilapidated house in my neighborhood, uh, the city doesn't say, well, I guess we won't make the property owner fix it up. We'll come in and take it, we'll buy it from them. Take it, maybe, tear it down, maybe. That's happened, of course, the Red X properties and so on. So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an awkward situation. And I also am not sure that I concur with the phrase, and I think it's what you were getting to, John, that it really, this 19th Street property is a gateway property it's not a
1: gateway to this. Let's just just be honest. It's number one. There's a couple things. It's not downtown. I'm tired of hearing people saying, well, it's, it's not downtown. Downtown is very clearly delineated on every map. You're on the planning commission. Is that part of downtown Howard? No. Okay. So let's get away from the, <clears throat> the fallacy that it's a downtown property. It's not a gateway to downtown. The only people who really pass it are folks coming south from Marshall County or from the south of Marshall County, driving North, Or residents of this area who use that either to go downtown or connect to I 70. Um, So it's not a gateway to Wheeling. It's just not. It's not downtown. It's not near the 16th Street field. Um, You know, uh, there's a lot of reasoning that's being put out there as to why this is a good deal. Now, where it is near, it is right, you know, right near Karen Bowers, which has invested a lot of money in fixing up their property. It's not, you know, just a few blocks, again, from...
0: Northwood is expanding right around there. Yeah. There there is expansion happening in that area. There is, and I'm being, you know, I want to be totally
1: fair, because I'm sure those property owners down there who have invested in their sites without public money would love to see this come down, uh, because it is just an eyesore. Um, But, you know, know, part of me now looks at it and, uh, you know, is we are moving again. This one thing COVID-19 has shown many of us is that you don't need office space. <clears throat> you know, that that's not necessarily going to be a big thing of the future, potentially. I mean, we can work remotely. Most of us can work remotely just as well as we do in an office. So what is, you know, I, I look at that and I think I, I see where that site's at. It's right on the creek bank. You know, there's a large homeless population that lives down around there now, you know, what is what are the city's plans? Are they buying it just as a land bank? You know, I know I saw, again, mentioned former Mayor Sparshane earlier, you know, he on social media came out supporting this and saying, well, you know, it's hard to find three acres of flat ground in Wheeling. And he is 100% correct. Um So, you know, I... I
0: but the flip side of that, or a, 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 a footnote to that would be that city council, the city of Wheeling and council authorized has just purchased a huge tract of land uh, in the center wheeling area, and that's the old OVMC property. If there's, uh, if there's a demand for some office space, some of those buildings could perhaps be used for office space. Um, I, I guess one of the concerns that I have is, and I asked again, I asked the mayor about this this morning, name for me the times other than the health plan, which we all agree was a, 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 turned out to be good, and I was among those who thought it was not necessarily a good idea in the beginning. But, but uh, other than the health plan, where has there been a real success in buying property by the city buying property and turning it into useful a property? What was uh, his name? mayor pointed out the two buildings across from the health plan that's not, now has a coffee shop in it. Not a good example. He's well, got a coffee shop in it. and that's you know, a of,
1: but, uh, Dumped a ton of pack, taxpayer dollars into it to buy it, a ton to fix it up the owner of those buildings has a small investment compared to what the taxpayer has had. So what else, what else? was? Well, I
0: just think those, that, those are some of the issues that I, that I, yeah. that I have, but what else, you know, um, uh, the and Kraut now has the old Kagan Kraut building has a, uh, a pizza shop in it. How long has that been sitting there? Uh, many years, a decade, I guess, or more. Right. Yeah. So uh, again, I, I don't want to be, Howard, it's okay. To I like be, thinking big. I like thinking big. And this council likes to think big. And they like to look to the future. They like to say, we're going to save, you know, we want to find other uses for these properties. I, I, part of me does not want to be discouraging of that. But I guess, because, and we can talk about this, at, at the same time, literally at the same time, they're going to be talking about putting a half million dollars this week into the design work for the Valley Professional Center, which is part of the OVMC campus. To be turned into the public safety building, I guess part of me says you got plenty on your plate, you now have a gigantic piece of property in center Wheeling that you need to develop or to find a market for maybe as good of an idea as it is to land bank if it is let's let's focus on one thing at a time
1: you know well here's here's something maybe you're missing you know and we have it on our list to talk about later, but we could, you know, kind of ties in, in some ways in my mind right now is the city just got $3 million from, from the CARES Act. Correct. Um, you know, they, they only ended the year with a $400,000 shortfall from where they expected to be. So they've, they're sitting on $2.5 million plus that, that they either need to bank or find projects to do they could pave or they could start buying more buildings. Um, you know, I, I we can argue the merits of, you know, normal business for for the city over, you know, three or four month period while COVID was, everything was shut down. But the reality is, is they have been, you know, a lot of the expenses they incurred have been, you know, according to, to Bob Heron, I'd say, have been replenished, the, the coffers have been replenished. So they've got to find a way to spend this two and a half million dollars. You know, they can't really just sit on it. They could put in a rainy day fund and there will be other expenses that come up uh, as they go forward but that's CARES dollars so they have to go to something connected to COVID I believe I understand but the, but they also the money that was spent is now you know it, it makes you whole for the money that was spent that money you know that money otherwise comes back into the general fund so you've got more money to spend if you're saying we're you know we spent a million dollars on training and PPE for the fire department over those three months or whatever it might be that money that was in the fire department budget and spent now is replenished it's, it's replenished yeah exactly so um you know so they are sitting on a large i'm not gonna call it a windfall because that's not fair it's money that was appropriated by congress uh, but they are sitting on a large uh, chunk of change right now and you know that maybe they just need to find ways to spend it i mean there's you know there's well, things that are just
0: popping into my head here as we talk we need to take a break here in a second but um If this is the approach the city is going to take, they now have the OVMC property, that's a huge piece of property to deal with. They apparently are going to have this AmeriCo property. Um, Maybe what the city needs then is someone who is more versed in marketing properties than what they currently have on staff, the city's development, not development director, um, Mark, I forget what his title is. I'm thinking about Kurt Sandy. Yeah, uh, who, development specialist or something along that line. Who's the guy who's supposed to go out and, and, and Kurt has a great background in that. Right. I'm not arguing that. But frankly, these days he runs the market house.
1: Oh, right.
0: So maybe there's a need for, for someone uh, or to contract out with someone to take their responsibility for marketing these properties as opposed to, uh, no disrespect meant to Bob Perrin, who I've got any amount of respect for, Mm -hmm. but uh, maybe someone who's a little bit um, more uh, in tune with with marketing properties um, than we have right now. I'm sorry, Howard, this virtual background's
1: killing me, but you're exactly right, so I just go back to the regular. Um, You're exactly right. The city, you know, they rely on red a lot, but red has its own interests to look after as well. Um, You know, it's been a a long time now since the city had a legitimate development director who was in charge of development. You go back to Dave Klug is probably the last one who actually was a developer in essence and, you know, in, in, a, in more of a city planner and less of a, you know, of an administrator, which is what they moved the position into. Um, so, no, I think, you know, the city does have a lot on its plate right now. You're exactly right. If they if they get this, they're going to have a large swath of property, you know, kind of running on that backside. But, you know, I was thinking about this this morning. When did they go and start buying up properties on Rock Point Road that are an eyesore? You know, there's a there's plenty of them. Some of those old uh, old industrial buildings on Rock Point Road. When do they again buy the Clay School? When do I mean, is this the new? Is this the, you know, what the next four years are going to be? Is identifying properties that we all can agree need removed or fixed up? Are the taxpayers now going to be asked to go through and you know after they're identified purchase? properties that the owners simply won't maintain
0: or remediate or demolish.
1: That, that's well, well,
0: what I don't know. We'll follow that story as time goes by. When we uh, come back from a break, John, let's say with the CARES money for a little bit, big fight still about that down in Charleston, one of your reporters managed to get Steve. out of governor's skin Steve. a little bit. Stephen, Stephen, Christmas, Stephen. We'll talk about that coming up. Uh, plus Bishop Brennan, Uh, put out a letter, uh, what, two weeks ago, I guess almost now, where we talked about a number of issues, but included in that was, what's the status of the um, amends, I think is the phrase they use, that former Bishop Bransfield has to pay. So we'll talk about those things when we come back in just a minute on that issue. And welcome back to At Issue here on the Topper station. Howard Monroe and John McCabe reviewing some of the Ohio Valley news of the week as we do on our radio show on the Watchdog Network every Friday. And then in the following week, we do this here on television as well. Uh, John, um, on the COVID front, we have, I think, in Ohio County, 261 cases four deaths and we now have the first death in marshall county too
1: yeah yeah we had since we were last on we did have the fourth death in ohio county i believe that was a 49 year old woman and just as we taped today this is monday august the third marshall county had a press conference at one o'clock and uh, announced its first death a 73 year old man um interesting howard we talk about comorbidities um according to health department officials he had no major pre-existing health conditions before he was hospitalized so you know as we go through this uh, something to keep in mind and you know let us never forget that you know this virus the political aspects of it aside or how it's being politicized aside is is killing is taking lives and we need to always remember that that uh, there is a real human toll involved here in the mask no mask fake virus etc debate that people seem to want to have. Um, so, condolences to, to to this man's family, to the fourth victim in Ohio County from uh, here just recently,
0: and, and all those who are affected by this, Howard. Yeah, people are dying from this. People are in the hospital from this. It is serious stuff. I saw several uh, folks, including a couple that I know, who, who came down with the COVID-19, who, who I don't think are preparing to die, but who have explain the symptoms and are talking about how horrible it is, especially the breathing issues where you just can't. I mean,
1: just, just recently, I mean, he's made it very public, Jake, Jake uh, Flatley, Jake Michael, who works for Metro News and is a West Liberty graduate, uh, just now recovering from a couple weeks off work with COVID. And again, our best wishes to Jake as he uh, gets back to work. I think today is his first day back to work. Um, yeah. But you know, it starts. To, he's wheeling guy. Start. You know, it hits close to home when when it goes like that. And again, a young guy in his in his probably uh, late twenties now. Local
0: artist Bob Villamaglia yeah, uh, yeah. also uh, came down with it. And I know his Facebook posting was. Uh, really, I mean, got me, really hit me because it, you know, he was discussing what a, how miserable it was to uh, to be in that condition. So, of course, um, trying to compensate for all the problems caused by coronavirus in terms of business and economic uh, losses, uh, the CARES Act had been passed. They're still talking about another one on Capitol Hill, but the previous CARES Act had been passed. and We are still arguing over the expenditure of that CARES Act money in West Virginia, $1.25 billion dollars, legislature feels they ought to have some say in that. They've talked about a special session. Governor has allocated that money and says it's my money to spend or says I'm gonna spend it without your input. Um, And the governor last week um, pointed to a report from the federal government that says that West Virginia is fourth in the nation, fourth best in the nation, in terms of allocating the use of their CARES Act money but both Senator Manchin and also Democratic candidate for Governor Ben Salango point out, allocating is not the same thing as spending.
1: No, no. And that uh, that has been, you know, again, Senator Manchin is is uh, getting heavily involved uh, to make these election year issues uh, even more, uh, even broader across the state. Um, and, and of course, Ben Salango is running against the governor. Um, you know, has been raising the same point. But, I, you know, I think the, one of the more interesting and maybe uh, fun moments from late last week, Howard, uh, you know, Steve Adams, who's our reporter in Charleston, you have him on your show on occasion, um, asked a question just along this line, uh, you know, uh, with CARES funding and, the governor went on about, you know, a couple minutes of, I think he said Stephen seven times, and he
0: was just, you know, Stephen, you should ask him, Stephen! That's a ridiculous question. <laughs> Stephen, tell Joe Manchin to tend to his own business. Stephen, don't you understand? I'm doing my best, and my favorite was the ring. Stephen! Give him a Christmas, Stephen. <laughs>
1: yeah, so it, uh, it made for some some fun over the weekend at, at Mr. Adams' expense, uh, but, it, but it also... I'm sure from the governor's standpoint and, you know, not defending him one way or the other, uh, he has, you know, he, he wrote a lot of success on, on how he handled COVID early on. And now that we're deeper into election season and, you know, three months away from actually, what about three months from today from, uh, or tomorrow, I guess from, from the primary or the general, I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, the, the frustration I think of being hit with this over and over, starting to show and and, and wearing him down. Um, and as we talked on the radio, you know, and, and I saw a poll this morning, his approval rating for how he's handled COVID has dropped uh fairly considerably over the last couple of weeks. What that means, who knows? Um, but it is uh, yeah, Steve Adams was kind of at the uh at, at the tail end of that press conference, you know, received the, the brunt of the governor's frustration. Um and, you know, I don't know if it would be worse to be dressed down via Zoom or via, you know, in person. I think I'd rather do it in person. At least there you have a chance to rebut. You know, when you're doing it there and the governor, you're muted and locked out, you just gotta
0: kinda sit there and take it. The governor is perpetually saying that he's tired of having politics involved in this. That's his answer to any, any uh, criticism that he received is, well, it's just politics. Well, we gotta get this politics. And yet in point of fact, at least in my opinion, his press conferences themselves are political. I mean, it is, he, he is using them during this campaign to keep himself in front of the general public. I think today he, he decided one wasn't good enough, he was gonna have two. Um, it is politics, it is money allocated by politicians in, char, in, in uh, Washington to be spent by people who are politicians in uh, West Virginia um, it's not to be political in terms of Democrat or Republican, but it is politics. And I just, the governor's answer all the time is it's, it's politics. Let's shift away from politics and go to the other thing nobody wants to talk about, religion. And um, a letter came out uh, to the uh, Catholic uh, constituents in West Virginia from the uh, Bishop of the Charleston Wheeling Diocese, uh, Bishop Mark Brennan where he dealt with a number of different things. And perhaps one of these days we should talk about some of the other issues. But the one that really caught most attention was he explained what's happening, or maybe I should say what's not happening, uh, with the former bishop, uh, Bishop Bransfield, and the so-called amends or punishment or retribution or whatever phrase you want to use that Bishop Brennan had set forth. Uh, People have been wondering, when is that going to happen? The answer is, nobody seems to know.
1: Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, what I think Bishop Brennan said, five months since he's heard from the Vatican on anything, not even just on this, but just on anything. Eight months since he proposed this to them. Right, so, you know, he continues to say, well, you know, they've got hit really hard with COVID, and they did, but that's been, you know, Italy's big push with this was months ago, and they've they've since, you know, come back a little, they got hit really hard early. Um, You know, I think that as, as, uh, as we've talked, Howard, this just leads to the growing level of frustration that people that many people are feeling right now with what's happening at Wheeling Hospital with what continues to happen within the church and i'm you know i'm you know i think we talked about this again on on the radio i'm not going to be surprised if at some point very soon groups like you know the catholic voices for change don't start to get active again they you know they appreciated the changes that were made with the financial audits and everything else but you know, here we sit two years, well, I guess 13, no, I'm sorry, 23 months since Bishop Bransfield retired slash resigned, was fired, however you want to look at it. Um, 23 months almost to the day, uh, and we still, you know, there's still so many things in limbo that have just kind of dragged on during that entire time, and there's not been any resolution to the things he was involved with directly. Now, there has been resolution to you know, financial statements and and being more open with the laity, but there's not been any resolution. There have been proposals, but no resolution as to how the church should handle him slash how Bishop Bransfield makes amends with one, the church, and two, the church's coffers, and
0: three, the body in West Virginia. So that's kind of where we're at. And uh, I know that last week or two weeks ago when Wheeling Hospital announced that they were looking at some serious financial problems, uh, what, $18 million loss this year, $11 million loss last year, Um, when that came out, now they're talking about voluntary uh, reduction in force and so on, uh, an awful lot of folks were saying, "It, it, it reopened the wound, I guess is what I want to say. It reopened that wound of Bishop Bransfield, and I kept hearing over and over again, you know, it's, it's, it's Bransfield's fault. It was Ron Violi, the former CEO's fault. Nothing's being done about these guys. Right. And so it, it brought that back to the forefront.
1: And we do kind of go back to the, you know, the $21 million that they pulled out of the hospital that, that the Bishop did and set up the Bishop's Fund, which he used for Catholic endeavors, uh, but not for the hospital. And, you know, again, the hospital which also is facing a fifty million dollars settlement for other actions uh, that were that were done during the Violi/Brainfield uh, term at uh, at the hospital. You know that, but that twenty one million would go a long way right now to the COVID losses and the losses they experienced last year. You know, a nine or ten million dollar shortfall on your bottom line is never a good thing, but it's a heck of a lot more uh, easy to to deal with than a thirty million dollars shortfall right now. So. Uh, it's,
0: it's, it's kind of a mess, Howard. Well, we will pick up that mess and others when we get together again next week for another edition of the program. Always good talking to you, John. And uh, we'll chat next week on the radio on Fridays as we do every Friday. Newsweek in review on the Watchdog Network and then here on At Issue as well. But for now, for John, I'm Howard Monroe. Have yourself a good week. We will see you again next week on At Issue here on the Topper Station.